This is Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition from WGCU. I'm John Davis. Thanks for joining us. The DOS Co-op Gallery in downtown Fort Myers is hosting an exhibition of works by visual artist, highly sought-after tattoo artist, and Fort Myers native Ananda War. The exhibition, titled Is, will mark War's first solo exhibition. She's described her visual art style as illustrative surrealism. A description of the upcoming exhibition from the DOS Co-op Gallery says the works present, quote, surreal visions, memories, and inspirational messages of ink, paint, and experience. The works created automatically, if not dreaming, hold the themes of hope, memories of Hurricane Ian, and rebuilding a sense of self after trauma, end quote. Ananda is a lifelong artist going back to early childhood, and finding a way to make a living through creating art has long been her goal. That passion took her down several different paths before finding her way to the Howell Gallery in Fort Myers, where she apprenticed under owner, lead tattoo artist, and musician Andy Howe. She's now been tattooing for more than a decade, and in 2019 opened her own studio called Light Hand Tattoo and Healing Arts. It's anything but your typical tattoo parlor and truly provides a space of peace with consubstantiation between the arts and the metaphysical where that can really come to life. Her first solo exhibition at DOS will run through February 25th. Ahead of tomorrow evening's opening reception at 6 p.m., I'm joined in studio by the artist herself, Ananda War. Welcome to Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition. This feels long overdue. Oh my goodness, thank you so much. That was such a lovely introduction. (laughs) (laughs) And to engage with us and your fellow listeners about this conversation or any of our shows, find us on Facebook, we're at WGCU Public Media, on X, formerly Twitter, we're at WGCU, use the hashtag GCL. So Ananda, we're going to start by going way back. Tell me about some of your earliest remembrances when it comes to making art. I I understand your skill was fairly evident at an early age. I come from a family of musicians and artists. Um, My grandpa is an architect. My aunts and uncles are graphic designers and musicians in many different directions. So creating was in my blood, definitely. And uh, some of the first things that I started drawing were actually like my own version of Sailor Moon, Uh, (laughs) like the the pretty soldiers. Uh, I would, my aunt had given me all these playing cards that had Sailor Moon figures and different characters from the show on them. And I would go through and be the head of this one and the torso of this one. So referencing those cards to build my own uh, pretty soldiers and... uh, yeah, I loved drawing anime and drawing cartoons and um, based off of the the shows that I was watching at the time, which I was a really big anime fan early on. Did you take art lessons or art classes as a kid or, or was this mostly self-taught and self-driven? Uh, definitely self-driven. I was a very anxious kid. So it was always, I always had a place where I belonged, where I had a sketchbook. Um, and then that was definitely recognized by my family. So they supported with all different sorts of supplies. My mom wanted me to do more like decorative art. So she actually had a painting tutor for me when I was in high school, but specifically to paint flowers. Hmm. And then uh, when I uh, ended up going to college at Middle Tennessee State, I studied uh, with some really amazing professors there. And then again, when I, I was an exchange student in Brazil in Sao Paulo, so I got to study at FAPI. Uh, which is an incredible fine arts college in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And that really opened my mind to all, not only just creating visually, but also creating like installation works and really playing with how art can influence someone's experience. Yeah, great. great. It sounds like coming from a family of creatives is 
it's kind of the perfect environment in terms of fostering your your artistic passion. But mm-hmm. I'm curious if your family had any misgivings about you pursuing art professionally. Um, just because it's it's not the easiest thing. Oh, definitely. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, it was the classic experience of like, that's great, but make sure you have a real job. And <laughs> and uh, that was something that I, I kept repeating like a chant, like, I'm, I'm going to figure out how to make a living making art. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to pay the bills. And I'm going to figure out how to make a living making art. So that really took me to, I think that's one of the reasons why I landed in the scenarios that I have throughout my life is because it was a constant drive of like, yep, I got to do what I got to do, but I'm going to figure out how to make a living making art. But it was like painting sets at the Florida Rap, painting yeah. houses. You took oh, all that kinds was so of good. Yes. <laughs> yes, I definitely did. I worked for my uncle. He was a, a contractor as a house painter. Yep. And uh, any any job that had a paintbrush or a pencil involved, I considered that training. Um, I loved working for the Florida Rep, painting those giant dollhouse and the crew there was such an awesome experience. And I really enjoyed actually to the temporal nature of it because it reminded me a lot of installation work and mm. that it's like you're creating this for a moment, for an event, and then it's done. And then all that you're left with is the residue pieces of it and then the memory. Mm. And yeah, that was really cool. And tell me about starting to work at, at Howe Gallery. Did you initially go there with the intent of becoming an apprentice or did that kind of develop as mm-hmm. you were there? That that developed as I was there. I was actually trying to break into the comic book industry at that time. Okay. And I had gotten the job at Howell through a friend of mine who was working there at the time too, Stock. And... I was just thinking about working there as like gaining gallery experience, like what it is to work in fine art gallery, because at that time, Howell was a fine art gallery who hosted artists from all over the country um, in downtown Fort Myers. And then after I'd been there for several months and I was working on my portfolio, working up on comics, Andy saw me drawing and he asked me if I wanted to do apprentice. And I'm like, yeah, you guys make a living making art. Yeah, I'll do that. Thanks. (laughs) That had to be really scary at first. I mean, because... I mean, whether it's a canvas or a piece of paper, there's some forgiveness there. It's not like somebody's yeah. skin. <laughs> yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I was in a perpetual panic attack for like <laughs> the first first solid three years, without a doubt. Um, it was it was a real intense experience. And tattooing, like facing that and facing that regardless of whether I thought it was good enough or was right, it had to walk out the door. It had to be good enough for them to feel good about it, you know? Uh, so it brought me into this new state where I'd had, I had had a huge trouble finishing things early on in my life because to me, it never turned out exactly as I envisioned it. And that was the, a lot of the feedback I got as a comic book artist was like, well, you need to finish more books. You ne- we need more issues. We need more finished promo work, whatever. I was always get it finished. And then tattooing, it has to be finished. It yeah. has to walk out the door, <laughs> regardless if I think I messed up. And I have messed up. But it's like, you no know, one would ever know it because you have to adapt and you have to finish it. You know, being a tattoo artist is one thing. Owning and operating your own studio, it's a whole other level. I'm curious about what prompted you to kind of want to strike it out on your own, you know, despite all the additional responsibility and risk you're taking. Oh, yeah. Well... The first thing was I wanted to be able to control my own schedule. Is at that point, I had left Howell and I was working at Tiger Lotus 
in South Fort Myers, and they're an amazing crew there. But when I was working at Tiger Lotus, they wanted me to work a set schedule, and I was making enough money that I wanted to spend more time at home and be with my son, who was only a couple years old at that time. And everything in my life had taken a backseat to tattooing, Mm. and I wanted to strike more of a balance. Also, I am metaphysically and it's often described as supernatural aware, and it had become something that was more and more obvious to me in this later parts of my life when I had like an energetic awakening after my son was born. And it was starting to get to be abrasive being in certain environments. Not the shop, that was fine. But I also realized that aside from making my own schedule, I wanted to create a space that I could work that was be as energetically and psychically neutral as possible so that it was just easier. Can you tell me about some of the metaphysical elements of your studio space? Like what is going to make it stand out for the client in terms of the experience, in terms of the environment? Well... In terms of the environment, you'll notice really quickly walking into my space that it is full of crystals. There are cases and cases of crystals. I've done a little bit of crystal gridding in the perimeters of the shop, and that's part of keeping up that energetic neutrality. I kind of like sovereignty. I don't endorse the concept of energetic protection because I'm no longer a light worker in that I'm not at war against the darkness. It's not like I'm protecting myself. I'm shoving off this evil stuff. It's an awareness of the kaleidoscope of how energy presents and saying, this is my space, this is sovereign, and this is what happens here, and all are respected here, and all is safe here. So anybody who's energetically sensitive, myself, might feel it as like a breath of fresh air, or that it might just be easier to exist, or I I would hope. That's how it is for me. Hmm. Um, In past interviews, you've described the tattoo process as meditative. Totally. I imagine that quality can be quite similar to when you're creating visual art pieces. But earlier you had talked about, you know, kind of the anxiety early on. And (laughs) that just seems so opposite of where you would want to go in your mind when Mm -hmm. you're creating. So I'm curious about what you see as the similarities and the differences between creating art on a human body versus you know, with a client who has mm-hmm. a specific thing mm-hmm. in mind that they want versus mm-hmm. when you're able to do what you want on a mm-hmm. canvas or a piece of paper mm-hmm. or what have you. Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely a co-creative experience. I like to think of my clients as collaborators. We're both working towards the desired vision of the best case scenario. The difference there in working on my personal work is that when I'm painting for myself, I'm allowing what comes through to just come through unfiltered as much as I can and just letting the piece unfold bit by bit. So it kind of looks like I'm inspired to draw from this reference of this photograph of a bird that I found or of this thing that's in front of me. And then after I draw that part, I'm like, hmm, but maybe a wave comes through here and then it's all of these other, there's there's a house in the wave, and then there's this over here, and it just assembles itself like that, whereas when I'm creating a tattoo for somebody, it's definitely a much more controlled environment of figuring out the specifics of what they want and then going towards that shared vision from the get-go. Yeah, I, I like the way you describe it as collaborative. Oh, um, totally. Yeah. What does it mean to you to be a, a spiritual tattooer? Hmm. 
So to be a spiritual tattooer means that I am aware of as many of the subtle aspects of this life experience as I can be. To me, saying spiritual means it indicates that awareness of there's a subtle connective force in the air between us, in the the space between particles. Some people call it by a deity name. Other people just refer to it as a source or a universe. I think that once you give it a name, it is definitely not that. And that's something that's shared cross-culturally. But being a spiritual tattooer means that I'm aware of that energy and I'm also aware of how I can impact other people energetically by my thought process, what's on my mind as I'm working on them, and that I have the opportunity to mitigate the residual energy I leave them with at the end of the tattoo experience. So I light hand, in a lot of ways, I chose that name for my shop because I choose to leave as light to neutral of an impression energetically as possible. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. I mean, because I think some people might think like, oh, it means it's 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 not going to, I won't feel it as much. Oh, physically. No. <laughs> and that's not what it's referencing. No. Yes. <laughs> it definitely still has the physical that's components. That's not how it works. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Well, if you're just joining the show, we're talking with Fort Myers-based visual artist Ananda War ahead of the opening reception tomorrow evening of her first solo exhibition at the DOS Co-op Gallery. War is also a skilled tattoo artist and owner of Light Hand Tattoo and Healing Arts. And if you'd like to comment on our conversation or engage with fellow listeners, again, we're on Facebook, WGCU Public Media. On X, we're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. So let's move our focus more specifically to this upcoming exhibition. Mm. Why did you choose the title Is? What does that mean in the context of the works in the show? Mm. Anybody who knows me is going to be like, the is this? That's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's what I describe when I'm seeking that state of neutrality. Um, earlier in the in the conversation, we'd reference the anxiety that I felt like I realized literally all throughout my life, and I still do experience it. It's just a layer of perception. And the isness, or it is what it is, to me, is an acknowledgement of all of those different layers and aspects of the experience that I'm in, the state that I'm in mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, etc. It is what it is. And that is the stillness to me. It's the center of the storm. This is where no matter what is happening around me, I have shelter because it just is what it is. And there's a piece in the show that you've shared with me um, Mm -hmm. in preparation for our conversation today. And I guess I might even call it the title piece of the exhibition. It is. Yeah. Um, And that makes a lot more sense now, given that explanation. (laughs) (laughs) As a lifelong artist, I imagine you'd have a lot of pieces saved up to choose from. Is there a retrospective element to the works you're putting in the exhibit? Or are what people going to be experiencing primarily uh, relatively newer pieces? Well, they're almost all entirely new. Um, I actually lost most of the artwork I'd created prior to 2022 in Hurricane Ian. Mm. Uh a lot of those canvases and portfolios, all of those canvases and portfolios from earlier in my life were stored in the back of my son's closet on the floor and in a bin and sketchbooks too. And uh, so most of the, there there are some several sketchbooks that I was able to save. All of my newer ones, thankfully, were in a bin that did not turn over. <laughs> and so all of the painting works are definitely new pieces 
and uh, the sketchbook pieces, the the sketchbook prints that I made. There are some some retrospects there, mainly from my uh, time in 2012 in downtown Fort Myers, actually, oh. when I ran the open mic there, and I was really uh, ha- having a hooligan of a time with right. the other locals. <laughs> that might time. have been where we first met. I think it I is. Think so. I think it is. <laughs> Well, um, and so there's one of the pieces that you shared with me that I, I, I was really moved by, um, Ian in memory. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a beautiful picture of a white ibis on there, which mm-hmm. is so iconic from around here. But then at the bottom of it, you've written in memory of all lost in Hurricane Ian. I think from what you just told me, we've kind of got a little bit of a picture, but what was your experience with the storm? It was it was very strange because I was watching from a distance mm-hmm. Um, I was on a guest spot at, at the Golden Yeti in Fort, uh, Franklin, uh, Tennessee, and I was there for a week. And when I left, it was everything was normal. And the second day that I was there, oh, yeah, yeah, there's, you know, checking with my husband, Noah. Oh, yeah, there's a cyclonic activity. Oh, yeah, yeah, this hurricanes happen all the time. And as it got closer and closer, it's like, hey, you should probably get out of the way. And then the night that it happened, thankfully, they were away at a hotel in Naples, in inland Naples, and... My son, husband, and my mother-in-law and my other family in town was hunkering where they were. But I was watching the evidence of how hard this was hitting us in a total in a place that was completely unaffected, yet okay. feeling so deeply affected and looking for signs of what happened to my road. How's South Naples? How are they doing? You know, like okay. because I'd lost communication with them and everybody on the ground and. And then the story started coming in and just trying to navigate, you know, getting supplies wherever I could or connecting people or connecting needs with what was known. And it was almost felt better being there, even though getting there and getting to be with my boys again was everything. <laughs> and then seeing, but even even my mother-in-law's house where they were in central Fort Myers, um, it just, it was just, it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Just working through some of that trauma. I mean, is that going to be reflected in multiple pieces in this exhibition, do you think? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's very much, and I think it, I can say this pretty blanketly for all of us, it's, it's part of the collective consciousness at this point. I mean, we're carrying on and we were all in different boats and we got hit in different ways. I mean, my street got, the street that my we were living on got eight feet of water but only about three feet got in the house because we were up on a rise and we weren't there. Whereas the impact collectively that this has not only had on me individually, but also feeling it in the people around me, it is definitely in the work. And I have taken care to portray it not in a singular light. I think that the painting that you just referenced, Ian, in memory of the ibis, I found that ibis in my backyard while uh, it had died during the storm and while we were cleaning up. Um, I ended up planting it in a pot to take with me because now we're all mobile, but I only let wildflowers grow in that pot, like whatever seeds there wildly. But I think it's important to see the trauma from, for me, from that state of centeredness. And that's why in that other painting that you referenced, the title piece, that is is actually spelled with a th in front of it but crossed out Mm -hmm. and it is that indication of there are many different elements here and then this is the particular aspect that we're focusing on 
It's just the presence and the awareness. Yeah, thank you for that background on that. That gives the piece a lot more meaning. <laughs> I appreciate you. that. Um, I wanted to talk about the piece Daruma. Uh, I, yeah. I understand it. You know, it literally means like this. It's this paper mache Japanese doll mm-hmm. considered to be like uh, bringing good luck and prosperity. Mm-hmm. But then you also have this this inspirational message contained in it. And when you put these kind of inspirational aphorisms in your work. I mean, is that as much for whoever experiences them as they are for you? Oh, it's my medicine, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it flows over for whoever it flows over for. But a lot of these pieces are created so that there was some externalization and this reminder. Um, like with Daruma, fall down seven times, get up eight. That's actually yeah. a part of the story of Daruma. And, you know, Japanese, I think as a culture, has such an amazing way of navigating trauma, especially collective trauma. There's a sense of almost a stoicism and a finding of pattern. And pattern work is something that is so inspiring in Japanese art to me. It's been a huge influence in my own personal work, not just from anime when I was a kid, but also Japanese tattooing is a huge influence as well that I think people will be able to pick up on, especially if they know what they're looking for. And you're also really opening up with folks. There's going to be your actual sketchbooks that people can Mm -hmm. pick up and go through. That's a pretty intimate thing to share. Well, I don't know that I would let anybody just go through my sketchbook. You know. Well, if somebody's looking at my artwork, they're ruffling through the back corners of my mind. So That's true. I have tapes. I have tapes between the pages of specific, like, I think that when people, I've when I've handed my sketchbooks off, because I carry these with me wherever I go still, and uh, I've, I've taped... like off the pages that are more like my grocery list and my notes to myself are personal things that I wouldn't necessarily want somebody to stop and focus on. But there are a lot of other personal things that are there too, because I think when you see someone's sketchbook, you start to get a look into what it's like to live as a creative. Mm -hmm. And that is for me, what I found in the balance is literally just letting the work create. Well said. Yeah. (laughs) Um, there's also going to be a, a, something of an interactive element to the exhibition, and that'll mm-hmm. go on throughout um, the entire exhibition's run. Also, a performative element during mm-hmm. Friday's opening reception. Tell us, um, I guess, whatever you want to about those. If there's any surprises, that oh want to ruin yeah, it. no, no, I, that's a, I've been, I've been, uh, I'm keeping that close to the chest. But the performance is at seven. And if anybody's interested in being a part of the flash mob interactive element, aside from just reacting to it the day of, then please do go ahead and contact me, spiritualtattooer at gmail.com, or reach out over social media, spiritualtattooer, just about anywhere. And the installation is, it's called Because You Can. And it was largely inspired by my grandfather, who I lost in October, who is an amazing, prolific artist. And his influence and his inspiration has been one of the main forces that was able to produce what I've been able to produce for this show in that just that inspiration to just create because I possibly can. So it is a call to participate and to write, to honor someone, to draw however you want to. Why? Because you can. And there will be fishing lines hanging from the ceiling with clips that you can clip in and the fishing lines will be arranged in the shape of a cyclone because it feels oddly appropriate to create a storm of our own of art and appreciation and honor because we can 
I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, this is one of my favorite questions to ask any artist, you in particular, because you work in these different worlds. As we've discussed, when you do a tattoo, it's a collaborative process with the client. And as you said, there's an end point and it's definite. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But with a piece of art, how do you know when it's done? <laughs> oh, man. Or as long as it's in your position, yeah. does it always run the risk of being changed? At you some know, point? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there are several pieces in the show right now that I literally had to be like, I have to bring it to the gallery. The paint will dry on the way. <laughs> I have to let it go. Um, so, yeah, it is one of those things that uh, I think our art, like my art constantly evolves as I do. And I've really enjoyed bringing elements from past artworks when I have them into what I create in the future because I feel like that expression of the accumulative momentum that one gathers through creating you know, it, it's such a valuable thing to show because so many people look at me and they're like, oh, you're so talented. You can do something that I can never do. And I'm like, I have a lifetime of momentum mm-hmm. and the momentum of my ancestors propelling me towards this. But if you just picked up a pen and just started doing what you can do because you can do it, who knows where you could go? Yeah. Is education uh, an important part of your practice? And I just asked because in my digging, I found this uh, like a virtual online kind of workshop you had done on self-portraiture. And I'm wondering oh, if wow. that's something <laughs> like, do you do that regularly or was that more like a pandemic creative oh, wow. way to keep going kind of thing? There's a show in there is there's a painting in the show called Pivot that specifically <laughs> addresses the feeling of the pandemic and every like feel like. Uh, everything since then um yes i did that specifically for the pandemic i would love to actually host a workshop because you art because you can um it's been on the back burner as i've prepared for the show but again uh inspired by my grandpa because later in in the last couple years he stopped creating Hmm. because he wasn't creating at the caliber that he was used to and he'd look at my sketches and he'd look at my tattoos and be like, oh, if only I could do that. That's what I need to work on. And I'm like, well, let's sketch with me. And I brought him markers. And when my grandma was in the hospital specifically, and it's in the sketchbook that's going to be in the show, um, people have it in their heads that they can't do it because they see what somebody else is doing and they can't imagine how they could do that. But I finally got him to draw again. <laughs> Because I was like insistent on like, well, what can you do? If you can't draw straight lines, then what what shapes, what colors can you make? Can you make dots? Why not assemble something with dots? What about like little brief dashes? And he assembled this beautiful cherry blossom like tree shape and composition that is one of my favorite things in the entire world. Because he finally embraced that concept of what can I do? when it comes to art again. And, and going, you know, on the other end of the family timeline, you mentioned you have a young son. I guess mm-hmm. he's around eight or nine now. He's nine. nine. Um, I'm always curious about how artists with children approach art and <laughs> creation when it comes to what they want to foster in the yeah. kids and also just what they want to let them discover on their own. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you approach that? Oh, very hands-off. Okay. Because <laughs> okay. I know my dude and uh, he does not like being forced into anything. Um, but I really emphasize to him the process. And I am very open with him. I'm open with most people at this point. Once I realized I was masking, I was like, nope, done with that. Mm. <laughs> um, but 
I do what I can to show him the nitty gritty of like, oh, I messed up that line, but you know what? I'm going to make another line next to it. And I'll like narrate as I'm drawing next to him so that he can get a glimpse into my mental process that it's not just something like, oh, look, I've perfectly created this fantastic thing that everyone will admire me for. <laughs> no, like I'd show him the terrain of this alien landscape that's like self-deprecating and like constantly sees this dream in my head versus what I'm actually able to create. And yeah, and that's that's helping bit by bit. He's he's drawing more. It's like all the stuff from like Minecraft and Zelda's. It's awesome. So excellent, excellent. I trust that he'll he'll blossom as he as he desires. Oh, great! <laughs> well, that is about uh, all the time we have for today's show. But I want to thank my guest. I've been speaking with Fort Myers-based artist Ananda War, who is also a highly sought-after tattoo artist and owner of Light Hand Tattoo and Healing Arts. Tomorrow evening marks the opening reception of her first solo exhibition, titled Is. That's at the DOS Co-op Art Gallery and Gifts in downtown Fort Myers. And the exhibition runs through February 25th. For more about the exhibit, visit DOSCoop.com. That's D-A-A-S-C-O-O-P. And for more on Ananda's studio, visit LightHandArts.com. Ananda War, thanks so much for taking the time. Congratulations on the exhibition. Thank you. This has been an absolute pleasure. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org slash gcl, or subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director is Richard Chinqui. Our social media coordinator is Bianca Massoni. For now, thanks for listening. I'm John Davis. This is WGCU-FM Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.